Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr. Thank you so much for joining us. Today is a special episode, and we do these every couple of months and every couple of episodes, and they're called Industry Insiders. And what it is, is a full interview episode where instead of talking with a record label, I talk with somebody involved in the industry, a company or a service that provides a service to record labels and indie record labels and and DIY artists and people who essentially work for labels in in kind of a weird way um, and and kind of get their perspective and get some advice and some tips um, on how we can do certain things better. And today I'm talking with Paul Miller of a pressing plant called Precision Pressing. Now, I know what you're thinking. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot of pressing plants I could have talked to and why this one. And there's two reasons. Number one, I had the uh, privilege of pressing a vinyl. My, my personal latest record I did with them through a, a company called Vinyl Moon. And what was interesting is when Vinyl Moon selected them, not me. Um, and you should, by the way, you should check out Vinyl Moon, vinylmoon.co. They're a great company, a subscription service, but anyway, they pressed my record. And what was cool about it was um, when they told me they were doing this plant and this, and Vinyl Moon's in LA, and they told me that they had chose Precision Pressing. And Precision is in Burlington, which is like uh, a few minutes from my house, which was amazing. And so that's the other reason why I interviewed Precision Pressing. Paul is a great dude, very smart. He's been in the business for a long time. And this plant is so efficient. They do so many incredible titles. I mean, they they, they literally did the latest uh, Taylor Swift record. They do some huge records um, and they do tons of indie records as well. Um, I had the opportunity to go there last year um, and check out their plant and watch them pressing my actual record. I got to take a a puck of this um, vinyl or whatever it is and put it onto the machine and the stamper and watch it work. And it was such a cool process. Um, And so when I was thinking about doing another Industry Insider episode, I decided to go back to Precision Pressing because they're just around the corner from my place and chat with them about the whole process of pressing vinyl. I find it to be a very intimidating process. I know it's something that a lot of our labels, a lot of our listeners can't afford to do, something we want to do, something we enjoy as music fans, but is very difficult and intimidating from a label perspective or an independent artist perspective. So I wanted to try to demystify some of that process in talking with Paul. Um, before we get into that, I want to remind you to check out our new website, otherrecordlabels.com. And up there, there's a couple of resources, two of them in particular. One is our free guide, which is a bunch of our previous episodes distilled into one PDF guide. And the second thing is something we released just last week, which is a little tutorial on artwork and considering your album artwork to be a brand and working under that mentality. And so something I put together there and you can get both of those resources at otherrecordlabels.com. Listen, I hope you enjoy this interview. Um, what's your title here exactly? VP of sales. VP of sales. Yeah. Oh, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So the structure is basically broken down between the Burlington factory, let's say, okay, and then the Toronto uh, office, which deals with things like uh, graphics, production, oh, sales, okay. marketing, those sorts of things. Yeah. So I tend, well, tend to, I'm more than tend to, yeah. I, I, I manage that side of things. Okay. And then the actual like specific factory operations in terms of the machinery yeah. and all, uh, all the myriad things that surround it. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, Ernie, who's the VP okay. of operations. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's great. So how long have you been with Precision? I've been with Precision I guess before it was precision, even at the time when we were thinking, okay, what's the name of this damn thing gonna be? Yeah, yeah. And then actually it was, precision was suggested and I was like, now nah, you know what? I think it's a little too generic. Why don't you leave it with me? I'll come up with like a cool <laughs> name, you know? Yeah, and yeah. I was, you know, everywhere I was sitting at a bar being like, um, yellow light records, no, that sucks. Um, glasses, <laughs> records, no, beer tap, no. Okay, precision, great, just go for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but you know, it, I actually like the name now because I think it really is, um, uh, you know, expresses the right um, target for us. Well, the funny thing is that when I came here, when I was back here in March yeah. uh, or last year or early this year, um, what was so surprising to me was how clean and sterile this place is. <laughs> like everything's painted yeah. really nice. And right. 
I was like, I know it's Burlington, but I was expecting <laughs> like 70s, uh, 60s. Like I associate vinyl with 70s and 60s. So I was thinking, totally. what would a factory look like in the 70s and 60s? And yeah, I was yeah. just thinking this like steam filled, dirty, rusty machines. Right. But it's very like uh, sterile, very methodical. Yeah, that's intentional actually. Yeah. And um, I've been around vinyl for a long time. So I had my own company called Samo, which was a broker for vinyl manufacturing and not the manufacturer itself. Oh, I remember that. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we were around for a while, 14 years. I probably did stuff. I mean, I, all my friends did CDs with you guys. I probably did something. I'm sure you did. I probably did. But yeah. I became a bit of a vinyl <laughs> tourist when I was in other places. I visited a lot of factories because okay. I was just very interested in seeing yeah. as much firsthand from, uh, stuff as I could since yeah. I was secondhand. And there's a lot of pressing plants, especially around that time, which is like the late 2000s, that um, they're very garagey mm -hmm. and there's like a real overflow of activity. Right. You know, and boxes of stuff opened with paper flying everywhere, yeah. you know, from the printed jackets yeah. and everything else. It was very chaotic. And when Precision started, um, the idea was to change the scene in a couple of ways, which was to be really, really professional and clean in, our, in, in the presentation of the factory, yeah. which also means that there's less chaos in the actual logistics of yes. running it. Um, and part of that also is, was like a bid to be the type of new and different pressing plant hmm. that was big enough and scalable to you know, have uh, a lot of potential, right? but to also be the type of place that was very accessible to independent, musicians of all sizes. Yeah. We didn't want it to feel very sort of, you know, punk and garagey and sure. you know, okay. that, right. that type of look, but we right. wanted those people to feel like they could come here okay, and know that they were gonna get well-made records. So when you're doing sales, who are you dealing with? Are you dealing with major labels? Are you dealing with small little labels? Ever, like, Yeah, so um, both. Yeah. M my um, uh, portfolio, say, mm -hmm. is the independent side of things. Okay. Um, the major label activity definitely courses through the veins of precision. Yeah. But more so with um, Sean, who's the CEO. Okay. He, he has the relationships with okay. the major labels. So I, I really focus on the independence. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. And so, and then would that include like indie artists themselves, like artists just representing themselves? Yeah, so yeah. The, the, the minimum run is 100. Okay. And that was also intentional because some plants That's minimum run cool. is three or 500. Yeah, yeah. Um, low barrier to entry being the goal. So like right. if you are the type of band that just feels like having your record on vinyl is total validation of your musical existence, yeah. which I get, you know, uh, yes. like it's a special thing to do. Yes. Some people dream even if you lose about money. it. Even if you lose money uh, yes. on a hundred pieces. Yeah. yeah. Um, which you don't have to, but still, you yeah. know, if you just want it to exist, then, yeah. you know, you can come to us for that. But also if you're, you know, a large independent label, like Merge or something sure. like that, then it works for you too. Um, I I know that like, we kind of got talking about Geographic North, yeah. who like we're big fans of. Both. Um, fans, do you, yeah. you like pursue labels that you're a fan <laughs> of or bands that you're a fan of? I only do that once in a while, yeah. actually. I would do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I don't do a lot of the outreach myself. Okay. So when it happens once in a while, it's because I'm like, God damn it, why don't they work with us? I just <laughs> yeah. want to have Geographic North records yeah. run through here. So I reached out to Farbod, you and I were talking okay. about, about him nice. uh, before this and was just like, look, that Nick Malkin record you put out, I'm upset at how good it is. Like, can 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 we talk about it, doing the next one? And it wasn't on vinyl, right? Was it a, a tape? That was a tape one, but yeah. he said, uh, well, actually, maybe I shouldn't. Sure, yeah, no, no, that's cool. He but talked that, about some release plans for some artists okay. that were like, maybe this. And I yeah. was like, great, yeah, keep me posted. I would be so flattered if a plant reached out to me and said they were a fan of a, a certain release that we did or, or a certain record or whatever and wanted to. I mean, that would be really flattering. That's why I only do it occasionally because yeah. I want to keep it genuine. Yeah, I, do, I, sure. I don't want to be reaching out to everyone with the same, you know, yeah. email blast look yeah. saying like, oh, oh, I'm a, you know, here's what I learned about you on your Wikipedia page. <laughs> I mean, I'm a giant fan. Yeah. Oh, I, I still get those emails like, <laughs> hello, you know, and fill in the blank. I'm a huge fan of whatever song turned up and right and the search. Yeah. title is spelled wrong. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Oh man, I would do that all the time. I've actually always like, there's so many, um, records that came out like 
at a certain time or whatever, when a band maybe couldn't afford vinyl or vinyl wasn't the thing at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I wish that I could fund it myself. Like I wish that I could be like, cause maybe the band's defunct or they're just a really small band. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I would be, I'd be probably, I'd lose my job if I was in your position. <laughs> there's, be... there's a lot of people picking up that mantle though. I mean, yeah. the reissue market yeah. is something that really blossomed yeah. about, you know, I would say even like eight or nine years ago now. Yeah. Um, and still we see a lot of, you know, um, rare reissues from all over the world. Right. People are still very interested in exploring, you know, yeah. every angle yeah. of, you know, previously released music. We were talking about indie labels. I feel like, I mean, vinyl is in vogue. It has been for 10 years now. Like it's, a, it's back in obviously, um, we don't, we don't need to talk about that, but like to me, it, it still doesn't feel as accessible to the middle class or to the mm. this where I would put myself with like it seems with all the fancy pressings and everything is mm -hmm. it's like black is you can't do black anymore like there's all these add-ons like I feel like and I think our listeners might feel that it's getting more out of our reach mm. um how can doing a great vinyl release still be accessible for small low budget labels that is an insightful point. I feel like we have noticed that the um, direction, and I'm using that in air quotes. Okay. I didn't actually do that. <laughs> yeah. So I needed to follow up uh, to, to make the motion there. Um, we've noticed like a certainly one direction is um, going further towards the collector's market. And we've been very interested mm. in um, exploring that. So like we try and do a lot of effect testing and a lot of, you know, we have 48 base colors and wow. we have all kinds of crazy yeah. vinyl effects that we're capable of doing with the specific type of machines that we have. And because we have those machines, we're like, let's push it hard yeah. um, and see what we can get out of these things. Um, but that is only one avenue, right? right? And that's the avenue that you're saying, which is not accessible to everyone. Right. I think like um, the low runs are definitely part of it, because I think that um, you have to be able to open up the field enough to have enough people playing in it. Right. I don't know what that does for the actual affordability of the records, mm -hmm. because there's a flip side where obviously the lower the run, the higher the you know dollar value is right. to make it. Yeah. But we're developing things like, um, well, I don't want to get too technical here, sure. but, or maybe that's what you want, well. but it, previously you could only make 500 record jackets as a minimum. Yes. And in m most places, that's still the case. And they would just throw them out or keep them on the shelf, right? In some right, places. you'd always have to tell people, yeah. oh, we can make you 100 records, but here's 500 jackets. But look on the bright <laughs> side, look at all these jackets you have for a reorder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that was just sort of trying to be optimistic yeah. about the situation. Right. Um, we have a um, digital printing technology has come along so far now sure. that you can actually have really nice high quality looking digital jackets made at low quantities. Mm. And so that is a move towards making the 100 and 200 runs more accessible. But I guess I'm still not really addressing your question because that's more for the artists and labels making the records. Mm. But you're, you're more talking about the record buyers, right? No, 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 no. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about our listeners, our labels yeah. and, uh, and, and DIY musicians you're 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 talking about um, how you're investing in like cooler features and and colors and stuff like that. I was just it feels like to me, and I'm not I'm not saying this is the truth. It just mm -hmm. feels like like vinyl is becoming less accessible. It's mm -hmm. as as the technology grows or as it becomes more and more common and more competitors come into the business. Mm -hmm. uh, as a label, I I feel like it's getting further out of my reach because. Um, Maybe it's because I feel like fans are demanding mm. heavy vinyl, mm. cool colors, mm -hmm. cool cutout things. Mm -hmm. Well, something that I've, I've noticed labels doing that I really like is doing the run primarily on black, mm -hmm. but doing a limited version of a color or a color effect. Okay. And so that's a way of keeping the price down across the board as yeah. opposed to thinking you need to invest in making every single unit you create a right. special, highly coveted collector's piece. Right. And I like that idea because say if you're doing 500 records, 400 black, 100 on color or with splatter or something yeah. like that, mm -hmm. then 
I'm just imagining that you could put those 100 up for presale. Sure. You know, incite, way more incentive. Exactly, yeah. and incite people to pay attention to the release to try and get it as soon as possible. Yeah. You know, before the average, average, sorry, before the sort of like standard black version comes out. Totally. But then by that point, you've generated interest, and so you know you don't have to necessarily have a really high cost uh, point yes. on every unit. Right. Yeah. So that could be one way around it in terms of still appealing to that market, but not necessarily diving headlong and feeling like you can't afford it. Have you seen some unique ways that labels are doing vinyl to save money? Like, I mean, I would think, I would think um, spending all my money in doing a really cool splatter disc, yeah. but then figuring out how to do the jackets myself. Hmm. Have you seen anything unique? In terms of being mindful about the cost while still doing something special, um, let me think about that. Well, I guess, I guess figuring out what the priority is in terms of what is special about the release is one thing. Mm. So you could, you know, um, go all out with the record jacket, for instance, do gold foil yeah. or Pantone printing or yeah. you know spot gloss or something like that. Yeah. Um, versus. Um, doing something like splatter or half and half or something like that. Right. So I guess I would say, you know, finding out which thing will appeal to the record buyer, your right. specific yeah. record buyer yeah. more and, and zoning in on that, Yeah. I think makes sense. Right. Because um, I, I don't think, I mean, going DIY has a, um, a cool handheld mm-hmm. sort of, you know, effect and there's an appreciation when you buy something like yeah. that, but it's not really that doable for every release for every label. Sure. And so I think there's like a total space for that, but it's it's pretty cumbersome to do. To yeah. like make your own jackets, silk screen them, put yeah. them together by hand, it might not be as easy as one thinks. So I guess I would just, again, say like um, each release can be different and not all of it has to be specialized. You can sort of pick your zones. I think we were talking a little bit before we started recording about how there are a cert- there's a certain type of buyer who is really picky or whatnot. And then there's maybe the more of the mass market. And so maybe my question, I'm just more projecting like my feelings as a, as a pretentious buyer Mm. who, whenever I go and buy like a new record, like if it's like a a mass market, like Jimmy world record or something, and it's just a black vinyl in a super thin paper sleeve, Mm -hmm. I'm often a little disappointed. (laughs) Then, then when I buy like something like an, you know, a limited run or something that's way more fancy. Yeah. I I think part of that is the calculation of some of the labels to think there's a built-in audience for this artist. Yes. So we don't need to spend That's that right. much money, That's right. yeah. you know, going nuts on it because people are going to be interested in it anyway. Yeah. But I think, again, that's probably where you would see the majority of the run on black with a, yeah. a color variant. Right. Yeah. And I've also noticed uh, in a trend that I like is those color variants finding partners. So for instance, I've seen, you know, just on the major label side, they've been successful at this where, you know, there'll be a big release for, I don't know, um, Ariana Grande or something oh, like know, that. Yeah. And there'll be like a glow in the dark version for Target or something, yes, you know? Right. I, I would love it if the independents could figure something like that out yes. too. Maybe find a record store partner. And well, yeah. And I think, I think they do. I mean, I think, um, like, like a lot of like indie, uh, favor, like people who, like artists who support indie record stores will do like a colored run for uh, independent stores. I've seen mm-hmm. that before. I've seen, I've seen it too. I don't like, know how they divide it. I don't know how they say oh, Target's only getting black or yeah. Best Buy is only getting black, but. You know, I don't know the inner workings of it either. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen Light in the Attic do it as well. Yeah. So certainly some independents yeah. are doing it, but I'm just thinking you could do that on like a um, even more micro scale, like really? in your city with your independent. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. it's just an idea, you know? That's really interesting. Wouldn't that be funny if like you just, your town got one color? You'd have right. to, wow. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And then That'd be really cool. the more people you have sort of buying in and yeah. both senses of the word to, yeah. to your release, then the more, you know, uh, interested yeah. avenues there are who are pushing that album. Man, I love that idea of doing a hometown exclusive color. <laughs> right. Like the three record stores in your town get this one. That would be awesome. How does a label or an artist or whatever, how do you choose a pressing plant? Like what should they mm. look for? Oh, good question. And I mean, imagine the folks who are listening are, 
would Google pressing plants. Yeah. Some of them would look for what's close to them. Yeah, sure. I've heard people going all the way out to the check, you know, like it, yeah. there's people who will just do it anywhere. So what are they, what are they looking for? Um, I think people are looking for a place that is that has renowned quality. Mm-hmm. I don't think people have time to screw around with records that are going to be, you know, chewed up by the time that yeah, they yeah. arrive on their doorstep. <laughs> yeah. So we 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 bill ourselves as a plant with experience, even though we're three years old. Um, one of our um, parent companies, we're, we're owned by two mm-hmm. entities. One of the parent companies is GZ from the Czech Republic. Oh, okay. Which really helps us get our um, floor uh, right. elevated right. when we started. We're not yes. just some brand okay. new pressing plant trying to figure that. it out. Yeah. So making records, here's a yeah. industry hot tip, is really goddamn hard. Yeah. <laughs> so um, people, people, labels who have been around, they don't like rolling the dice on any new pressing plant of course, because bad things can happen. Yeah. It's not easy, right? Yeah. So we use that technical resource and partner as yeah. GZ to yeah. make sure that we can right. elevate that. Right. Um, but the other thing too is, um, you know, this might sound very sort of salesy, but it really is service because there was also for labels that have been around, they know this. There was a long period of time where the record plants were just factories, just trying to get through the day. And mm-hmm. the demand was really high and they didn't have time to focus on, you know, uh, even answering the phone, mm-hmm. you know, it was really all about just pushing these records right. through. You right. know? So you either had a factory who was very factory-like and who weren't very, easy to talk to. Are you talking about like years ago or are you talking about in this recent boom? I'm talking about years ago, but I still think it's relevant. Okay. Uh, and I'll get to why in a second. Sure. And then you also had the um, like brokers, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, Samo did before. And we right. filled that void of actually being someone that could walk you through the process right. and answer the phone and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so we really wanted to combine both of those things. It was very, very, very intentional. So to be able to do everything, all the effects, to be able to be very, very servicey, yeah, um, and to also know what we're doing. So I should hope that people look for those three qualities mm. to 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 you know not just go with someone who uh, meets one of those three, yeah. Um, but I, people look for all types of different things. You know, re- regional is another one. Mm. You know, because why wouldn't you want to try the pressing plant in your backyard? Right. Um, that that's when they're done. You can go pick them up. Well, the idea of having a that type of relationship, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. being able to pick it up yeah. and keeping your eye on stuff yeah. makes sense. Now, if the pressing plant that you're working with, who's miles and miles away, if they're incredibly effective at what they do, sure. that matters less, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, people look for different things. You know, obviously price, um, like uh, availability of types of effects. Like, not all plants do print. Okay. And so maybe some people feel like they're experienced enough to go to one place for the print, one place for the records. Yeah. Um, but we we do all of it. Right. So, you know, I think That's people cool. are making that decision too, yeah. whether or not they feel like they can manage nine different POs or yeah. if they want to just do it in one place. When it comes to like a plant this size and a company this like reputable, how many competitors do you have in the world? There's about 35 plants in North America. Okay. And Europe, we think of, as being just totally different market because, okay. I mean, whereas product com- does come in from mm-hmm. Europe through yeah. some North American brokers, yeah, I guess you can't, you certainly can't ignore it. But but primarily in North America, there's there's 35. Um, That's more than I would have thought. Yeah, well, I mean, there's been a uh, an increase of activity in terms right, of sure. plants starting in the last number of years. I'm not sure if your listeners are aware, but there are up until 2016, 17. Um, record presses were essentially unavailable. Right, right. No new presses had been built since the 80s. And so your best chance was to sort of almost go on a kind of James Bond sniper style mission, <laughs> trying to hunt down presses yeah. before someone outbid you and then they'd be gone. Right. And, but all of these presses were from the 50s and 60s and variable states Laying of dormant. operation. Yeah, the, okay, awesome. <laughs> so it was kind of a mess, right? Yeah. Because you either had those presses and you were struggling with them. Yeah. Because those factor, the, the companies that make them are no longer in existence. Sure, and the experts who would work on them are yeah, dead. dwindling, <laughs> dead, sure, I was going with dwindling. You went, you went more macabre. Um, but uh, enough demand happened in the last 10 years that a couple of places decided that they were going to make commercially available new record presses again. Wow. So that changed things, yeah. right? Because then people thought, 
well, you know, I can, I can do this too. Right. And like the idea of making vinyl is very exciting, yeah. right? It's sure. like a lot of people are passionate about it. So if you could start a factory, yeah. why wouldn't you do something you could combine yeah. you know, something like music with? Yeah. And something so historical oh, totally. and important yeah. feeling as vinyl records. Yeah, I'd put one in my garage. Yeah, totally. Sure. But, you know, it's, you find out it's not that easy, right? Yeah. So, like, there's uh, so many peripheral things that come oh, with setting up a record pressing totally, plant. Totally, right. That, like... Um, um, well, even, sorry to interrupt you, even yeah, around the vinyl itself, I had the pleasure of walking through the plant when they were doing my record earlier this year. Yeah. And, and that little oven where they bake the labels and... At, like there was so there were so many pieces to just that one disc. Oh, yeah. It blew my mind. It's a very delicate choreography it, to right. make a record, right? Um, with the heating, cooling, all the plumbing and infrastructure that comes with that. Yeah. The labels, the compound. It's it's um, yeah, it's a scene. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, let's go back. Let's talk about these features that you were you were talking about. Is there um, like like, what are you excited about when it comes to like the different experiments that you guys are working on? Ah, okay, okay. Um, I would say like there are many opportunities to make effect records based on the components that you put into it. So like by components, I suppose I mean um, compound, type, different types of compound as well as technique. Mm -hmm. Um, there's an artistry to that and also a science. Okay. So you really feel like you're progressing in a couple of ways when you're able to find something interesting. Right. It, actually, historically, we've said, wouldn't it be cool if we threw this type of splatter on this type of yeah. effect base? Let's see what happens. But we're actually trying a different approach now, which is okay. to really break down all the component parts of how an effect is made. Okay. So that you can see a picture of a finished effect that someone sends you and say, oh, I know exactly how that's made. Oh. Acting with intention. Wow. And that might sound a little boring, but yeah. I find that quite exciting in terms of getting deeper into the knowledge of exactly how all these things work with one another. So like there's a particular type of compound, uh, the industry term is high melt. Okay. And what it does is it melts at a higher temperature than the base color. Okay. So by the time the base color is melted, the high melt compound hasn't fully melted into it, okay. if you follow me. Okay. Which means that it's not blending. It's sort of creating a pattern on top of it based on the fact that it's at a different temperature. Okay. So like, there's so much you can explore with that. Wow. And then you can combine types of effects too. So it's, it's pretty, I wouldn't say it's limitless because yeah. <laughs> vinyl is one of those things that has, and part of the beauty of it, it does have its sort of almost finite parameters right. in its, you know, physicality. Yeah. But, um, I've noticed more of a race to get experimental and interesting from all of the new plants out there. Right. So it's, it's pushing us forward in that direction. Too. I see. How is it, um, how is color matching like progressed? Be, uh, like from a design standpoint, if you mm. have a, a completely orange album cover and you want the disc to match the, the paper print, that's got to be impossible. Well, it's Im impossible. Is, to are the there degree. pantones? There in, are pantones. Wow. But, but still you have to keep in mind that a Pantone is going to look different on paper than it sure. will on melted plastic. Right. And beyond that, even on paper, yeah. sort of, you know, some papers are more bluey white, some papers are more yellowy white. So th right. there's always some variation. Yes. So it's yeah. never going to be perfect, perfect. Yeah. But um, we have 48 base colors, which is like a ridiculous amount, I think. So there's a lot of options to choose from the standard guide, mm -hmm. but we also offer a pant like a custom Pantone mix. Okay. Uh, and it's more expensive to produce, but yeah. essentially what we'll do is we'll make the recipe, right, and then send you for your test pressings. It'll be on that color, oh, so it's wow. an opportunity to review it, and we can make some small tweaks wow, to it. That's amazing. So we can get pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What have you seen a certain effect. I mean, this is exciting because I, I just makes me want to go out and buy vinyl now, but have you seen like a certain um, effect that resonates better than others with the fans? Like what, do, what do fans like? What do, what are the music buyers like? You know, do I they can, care? I can only tell by proxy because we, okay. we, it's really the record labels who are expressing the interest to us. Mm -hmm. And we feel like hopefully they're guessing correctly. Okay. So whereas we don't have that 
that direct conversation with yeah. record buyers. Yeah. We can sort of tell by proxy, like I say. Right. And what, what they seem to like is when we create our own custom mixes. Sure. So we have one called, um, let me think of one. Well, one, this is sort of a basic one, but Whirlpool. Okay. You know, we give them names like this, which yeah. is a clear base with this sort of blue kind of high melt in it. Uh-huh. And I guess it looks like, you know, if, if you could freeze frame sort of a whirlpool motion or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So like when whenever we introduce those things, we, we, we feel like there's a burst of excitement that comes with it. Yeah. And so what we really want to do is have, you know, right now we have nine of them, which is which is not that many. Yeah. We, we, we need 50, you know okay. what I mean? So like <laughs> yeah. we, we want to go far in that direction. And the more photos that we have of the examples on our website, the more people can be inspired to create their own version of it. So they're coming up with ideas sometimes, the customers? Yeah, it's like a two-way conversation. We say, here are the custom mixes that we've made. And then someone can point to one of them and say, well, what if this one looked like that? Right, right. But if you have enough of those on there, then you're bound to have more of those conversations. Um, one of the things that like Brandon at Vinyl Moon had had showed me and I never thought of that I think is really innovative is playing with the labels. Okay. I, I think that's cool as, as opposed to just that circle, which I don't know, what is that, five inches or four yeah, inches? Five, yeah. it, it, like doing a rectangle like or, or oh, doing a Brandon triangle? Oh, Brandon did do that, yeah. I think that's cool. Not many people have experimented with that. So Brandon is kind of in his own lane there, well, there at least go. as far as we're concerned. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. It is really cool. I mean, the labels serve a couple of purposes. Obviously, identification and artwork. Yeah. Another one is they actually maintain the sort of delicate balance of weight okay. on press. Okay. And what I mean is that if you have a center label on one side and no label on the other, you're more prone to warpage. Okay. Um, so we love creativity and experimentation. It's the type of thing that we should have a conversation about to mm-hmm. make sure it will end up safely. Because depending on the shape or the mm-hmm. if there's different shapes on both sides, you know, it could possibly have unexpected effects. Interesting. Um, I think for the one that we did with Brandon, I think it worked perfectly. Yeah. So it's it's about it's about like uh, sharing those experimental ideas with right. your pressing plant instead right. of just pushing forward no matter what. You yeah. Know? Um, I can't remember who I was talking to this about, but what, what can you do? Do you save any money in doing a, putting a, an EP or something on a tw- one side of a 12 inch and leaving the other side blank? Have people done that? People do do that. And you can get creative with it too. You can, on any side where you don't have music, yeah. you can do an etching or a silkscreen. Okay. The silkscreen is my favorite. Interesting. Most people like etchings. I like silkscreen yeah. personally. I can show you some examples after. Sure. But essentially, like we did this one record for um, this Canadian label, Dine Alone. It was band Tokyo yeah. Police Club. It's okay. one of my favorite yeah. records we've done. Sure. It's a translucent yellow record. Uh-huh. And on, there's audio on side A only. Yeah. And on the B side, there's this diagonal, like um, diagonal rows, I guess, or okay. those B columns are rows when they're diagonal. Anyway, we'll figure sure. that out. <laughs> but there's, there's diagonal rows of um, just like this white cartoonish watermelon icon that just okay. goes, yeah. you know, repeats yeah. and repeats. And because the record is translucent, you can see it through both sides. Wow. And it's not that expensive. I forget how much the silk screening is, but it's like we're talking cheaper than doing, fifty cents or something. Cheaper like than that. doing audio? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Totally. So I've I've seen people get creative with that silk screen pattern. Yeah. And I love it when it's on translucent, because then like I said, you, you see it through both sides. It's a bit of That's really cool. How many how many minutes can you get on one side of twelve inch? I mean, you can squeeze the hell out of it and it okay. will sound like shit. Okay. So it's it there's there's no real rule. Oh. And plus you know, if you came to me with like a solo flute recording, yeah, I would give you a different answer than someone who appeared with like I don't know, a, like a death metal band with I like see. a full orchestra behind it. I so see. like, okay, I would say the general rule of oh, and and just to parse that a yeah. little bit, you know, it's about the sort of parameters of the audio. You know, bass being one of them. Right, so right. So bass takes up like lateral movements. Okay. When it's cutting. Okay. So that's like left and right, meaning. Right you're taking up more space, right. more base information you have, same thing with volume, et cetera. Okay. So essentially basic rule of thumb sure. is 20 minutes or less on a one okay. side of a 12 inch okay. is ideal. Yeah. If you push it, 
you can just experience something called inner groove distortion, okay. which means that near the end of the side, you start hearing, let's say like a fuzziness appear yeah. on the mostly high frequency information, right. like vocals or drum cymbals. Okay. So I, you know. Is that why they, there was a rumor, like an old wives tale that, that they would they put the ballads? Dude, I've the last this, track? I hope it's true. Cause I've said that to so many people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where that came from, but I love it. Like the idea was like, yeah, in the seventies when the, when vinyl was the dominant medium. Yeah you know, Fleetwood Mac or whatever yeah. would like couch the ballads, which is the least dynamic material sure. at the end of the side. At the end of the because side. the more- But it know, also makes sense to end a side. It does, right? So maybe that was just a yeah. perfect match or maybe it's not true, but I really like that idea because mm-hmm. the the more tame information that you have near the end of the side, yeah. the less it's prone to those high frequency sure. flare ups, yeah. distortion. Especially on a long side. There was a record, I got it, I got it. There was a record that I, I was listening to um, from the 60s or 70s where, I, where it kind of proved that wrong. And that's what made me question. And I can't remember what it was. Maybe I want to say that it was maybe Songs in the Key of Life. I'll have to check. Hmm. Somewhere where they put like Sir Duke, which has tons of bass and stuff. But yeah, I'll have yeah. to check. Yeah, right. I don't know. And, you know, it all anyway. really comes down to the parameters of the audio. Okay. So every record is different. It's sort of like a fingerprint. Um, but there's still basic rules. So you're apply. saying we could do 20 minutes of music on a side and and then a screen print or something on the other side. Sure. You know, and we've even cut sides that are 26, 27 minutes with no sure. issue. So it, it, I, I just want to underline that, that sure. it really sort of depends. With with things sounding as shitty as possible, how far can you go? Like, <laughs> you, guys, you can't tell me that, right? Because it depends on the style of music, right? Um. The other thing to think about too is that the longer the side, mm. the more we have to reduce the, what we say, playback level, which means volume. Oh, okay. So, you know, um, and that's for a, a reason that I think would be easy for people to understand, which is that we have to narrow the grooves right. in order to physically make it fit. Sure. And the narrower the groove, the less vibration you're receiving from that contact with yeah. the stylus. So, that means that a 20 minute side will be quieter than a 12 or 13 minute side. Right. So eventually when, when do you get to a silent groove? Yeah. I don't know, that, that's a bit of a Rubik's cube. <laughs> um, I, 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 going off track a little bit here, I, I wanted to ask you about 10 inches. Yeah. Because 10 inches, uh, you know, I don't like them personally. Uh, Radiohead did a few of them in, in the early days, and I want to replace those with the 12 inches now because they just look terrible in my rack. They get lost. They right? get lost. Yeah. And But it, they are kind of cute. Like, <laughs> they're I don't know, like, they seem to kind of make sense. And then a friend of mine was telling me is in Canada, you know, our shipping issues are way ah. worse than in America where they have media mail and they can For ship sure. 12 inches easier. But, but 10 inches would fit in that slot. Interesting. And you can almost fit a full record on a 10 inch, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So like, yeah, I would say. What are your thoughts on 10 inches? Do you guys do those ever? Well, something that people need to think about when they're considering 10 inches is that they cost the same as 12 inches. Now you might think, why don't I get a two inch discount? (laughs) It's really all of the same setup materials that are, that are being used. Right. And this is true for a lot of places. So like, um, the cutting blank, Mm-hmm. will tend to be for a 12 inch, will tend to be 14 inches. There's a little extra space there for handling and then you know a, a, other reasons right. for production. Um, but for 10 inches, because they're relatively uncommon, uh-huh. people don't tend to get different blanks for those. Okay. The cutting engineers will save more money if they just get a shitload of 14 inch cutting oh. blanks and then cut either the 10s or the 12s on them. Oh, wow. So hopefully that puts into perspective yeah. why we're starting the chain using the exact same materials. Wow. Um, it's the same thing for the printing too. I mean, it's basically on the same size sheet when it's right. being printed, yes, it's just that's trimmed right. down. That's right, yeah. So, so in terms of cost, you're not saving anything. Yeah. So then it only becomes a question of, um, is this, am I going to go in a different direction for the sake of doing something different? Yeah. So I think people should, I mean, it's not for me to say, but in my mind, it's really a format where you'd want to pick and choose what you're doing on 10 inch. Right to do something different for that sake. Yeah. Because there's no real, well, I don't know what benefit it has other than really just sort of um, um, be, be, surprising people by unique. having a unique yeah. format. Yeah. 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 But I feel like that's offset by the frustration that some vinyl collectors have. Right. Because 
the height of the spine the is the, the same, spine. so it just yeah. sinks into I, the collection. Yeah, and I, I mean, I even that. flipping in the record store, it could get a little bit lost, and yeah, I don't. Yeah. But it could stand out too. I don't know. We don't do tons of ten inches. I imagine, yeah. Um, but whenever we do, people are really dedicated to doing it. Oh, okay. We find that and we're like, you know, we might say, hey, just so you know, if you want to make this a twelve-inch record, it's the yeah. same price. And people are like, absolutely not. This right. is. I've, I've had this in my mind since yeah. I recorded this. You know, I, I should check. I should take a ten-inch to uh, Canada Post and see what the prices are. That is really interesting because, yeah, I've. This is something that's really well known amongst a lot of record labels. Is this media mail issue you talk right. about? We're in the states. It's a flat rate for right. any like records or CDs. Yeah. It doesn't exist in Canada. Totally. And so the actual amount. I don't know what the gram maximum is mm-hmm. until it gets stupid expensive, right. but that's really important for labels, right? Yeah. Well, and you, you know at the, the post office where they have that plastic board that they stick things through? I don't know okay. if you've ever shipped Oh, yeah, things. yeah. And, and so they would, whenever I would ship CDs, they would take a CD and they would feed it through to see if it fits. Because I think oh. that's how it, in the, fa- in the distribution center, it has to fit through this certain slot. Oh, okay. And so, but the slot is only a certain width. So I imagine that's where the 12 inch boxes exceed that width um, and a 10 inch might, but I don't know. Yeah. The shipping side of things is something that people need to think about. I agree. Yeah. It's important in terms of keeping your price reasonable. Is there, is there any progress on one-off demand pressings? I know there's a couple of like lathe cutters out there. Yeah. Is that uh, you've talking about going down to um, 100, which Mm -hmm. is great. Mm -hmm. Um, there was talk years ago about the potential of 3D printers disrupting mm-hmm. this market. Like, where mm-hmm. are we at with like doing one-off stuff? Yeah, I think the 3D stuff is still. I haven't really followed it closely, mm-hmm. but doesn't seem like it's imminent at all. So people's options are either the lathe cuts or uh, making 100 records. Yeah, I think that's where it's going to stay for the foreseeable future. It doesn't make sense economically for anyone um, making vinyl knowing the cost as we do yeah. to go below that, yeah. um, it would be the same price essentially. So lathe cuts in my experience make sense of up to what, 25 pieces. So we're, so really we're talking about the difference between doing 26 and 99, which like, I think you should be able to slot yourselves into one of those categories, hopefully. Sure. But I agree, there isn't a great solution for that mm. middle ground there. Yeah. But the lathe cuts, like, I feel like um, uh, are getting better in quality. Mm-hmm. I think like the, um, the way people are used to thinking about them, at least I was, was that there's a really high degree of surface noise. Okay. They're being cut on primarily um, a substance called polycarbonate. Okay. And it's just not as conducive to um, uh, the process as polyvinyl chloride, which is what we're using. Okay. So there's a higher noise floor, meaning more ticks, pops, surface right. noise. Right. Um, but people have been more experimental with the blanks. And I feel like in general that situation has gotten a lot better. So we don't offer lathe cuts. Sure. We just refer people to friends of ours, yeah, like yeah. Lacquer Channel or yeah, right, right. places like that who, who offer it. Yeah, yeah. I've never done it. There was a guy in Hamilton, he's moved to Montreal now, but- Right, um, I know I, that guy. Yeah, I, I really wanted to try it out. I, I Financially, you, there's no profit to be made for a label in it because right. I think they're the lowest you could get them is maybe $20 or $25 without right. artwork or anything. So. Um, right. And then there's the artwork. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, you're charging the fans, um, you know, $40 for a record, right. which, which might be cool if there's only 10 of them. If it's a special edition of something yeah. and people are hungry for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I see what you mean about, you know, um, just making them for any old release doesn't, yeah. doesn't always make sense. Right? I've always looked at, I've looked at them, I've done the math and I thought I can break even or maybe make a profit if I sell all of them but I want to keep one. <laughs> and now <laughs> you've lost money. Yeah. yeah. So now we've lost money. <laughs> right. I keep it. <laughs> there, there was this, um, the word in the industry years ago, um, maybe, maybe like 2015 or so in, and beyond was that there was this massive backlog. Um, what, what's the lead times at nowadays? For us, we're eight weeks. Okay. Um, and we deliver a lot of stuff in seven weeks. We're pretty analytical about our turnaround times. And um, I would say the majority of the eight week projects end up in seven weeks. Okay. So we see that as an opportunity to become seven weeks. We also offer rushes for okay. if people are looking for five or six weeks. That's sort of the minimum is five weeks. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, 
Uh, and I think in general, most plants are um, between eight to 12. Okay. If you're beyond 12, you're sort of dealing with some stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, so yeah I think like um, the capacity issues of the past are largely resolved. Oh, okay. I don't think I don't think that um, the way it was, which was that, hey, your record might be done in 12 weeks or six months, yeah, is a current thing anymore. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it really was for a while, you know. And why was that? Because I mean, I, I remember people were blaming, you know, major labels for for pressing the Clueless soundtrack and different stuff like that, like <laughs> the scratch and sniff version of the Clueless yeah. soundtrack. <laughs> um, it's it's for two reasons. It, it was major label induced somewhat. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's hard to blame them entirely for seeing that there was demand for something and wanting to get it. Sure, yeah. But they also got moved to the front of the line in a lot of places because it was the big shiny object, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but the real pro- that would have been fine, except for the fact that there was a real constraint on capacity. Right. And it was for the reasons I was talking about earlier, yes. where yeah. no new record presses since 1980 one or whatever right. it was, 1983. Right. Um, and so everyone was just, it was a big traffic jam. And that's better now. Yeah, because you know our, our presses come from Jeezy. Mm-hmm. Jeezy were the first plant in the world in 30 plus years to make their own presses. And they made it for their own um, factory. Oh, wow. And that was in, I'm not sure if I said in 2014. So when we started in 2016, mm-hmm. we just ordered 10 more off the line. So we, we have 13 presses now, wow. but we started with 10. I mean, it's five double presses, right. so 10, 10, 10 presses. Um, and so that, that was our leg up. Mm-hmm. We had new equipment. Yeah, That's become less of like a, a sort of selling feature. Hey, we have new presses. A lot of people do now okay. from other places, okay. not GZ. GZ won't sell to uh, new, new pressing plants, I see. but there's other companies like Viral Tech and Phoenix Alpha. I remember the Viral's Canadian, right? Yeah, they're actually, I remember seeing the press releases about that. That's kind of it was really interesting because when we started in 2016, mm-hmm. we're sitting here in Burlington. Yeah, Viral Tech also began in Burlington. Really, at pretty much exactly the same time, and we met with them, and they talked about the prototype of yeah. this new press they were going to build. Yeah. And it was going to do that, and it was going to do this, and it seemed a little far yeah. away. And a lot of people confused us because suddenly Burlington, Ontario became this like hotbed of vinyl activity. So and it's like, what the hell? So what is weird. this place? Yeah. So not, not known for its art scene. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> no disrespect to our Burlington list. I was just going <laughs> to offer the same caveat. Um, but, um, uh, 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 but yeah, so th- they were developing their own presses. We were in a, on a separate path with our new presses that we were getting from GZ. And um, since then, Viral Tech have released that press mm. and uh, new plants are, are purchasing it. Right. Um, we're really happy with the GZ presses that we got. Um, uh, they're, they're semi-automatic, yeah. which essentially boiled down just means that there can be manual manipulation okay. of the puck, it's called, yeah. which is just yeah. a record Looks before like it's a yeah. record, uh, before it hits the press. It's all hand-delivered. Right. Whereas with the automatic machines, it's all done by a carriage. So there's less manipulation, meaning less effects you can make on them. Right. So we started with 10 semi-automatics. So very, you know, hand-fed our yeah. whole process. And Which then, by the way, is very frightening. I got the opportunity. To, yeah, I had <laughs> so. the opportunity to do, to, to put a puck oh, in. That's right. And seeing the two metal things that could like squish a human into a little puck was yes. terrifying. Well, don't and worry. putting your hands in there. There's like, yeah, there's like a like a light curtain. Yeah, there's a. Light, I set that off all the time. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. Your your hand will not become a record. It will Ugh. know that there's too much. Uh, I had nightmares. About motion. That. Sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, no, but I I, I I tried to make a record once myself. Yeah, you would think, oh, I'm around these presses. I sure. just do it whenever I feel yeah. like it. Like I said, it's not easy. No, I made like the world's first like 180 gram seven inch, like it was a disaster. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, get me out of here. Yeah, I have one of those too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I, w- I wanted to, before we move on, I wanted to ask you about, we're going back to these eight weeks. Um, I, I actually, we're just mixing a record now that I that the artist wants to do vinyl. So I'll talk to you about that after. But um, when do you, as a label, as an artist, when do you start that process of getting on the phone with you, setting up an account. Like eight weeks, I imagine, is when artwork and masters are in hand. Is that right? Yeah, I mean. So when do you start this process? If you have a release date, how far back out should a label, 
if they want to have it in hand for the release date? Yeah, it depends on the type of label, because if you have a distributor, okay. you're going to have to have that record right. in hand. Like when I say in hand, I mean mm -hmm. at the depot, traditionally about 22 days um, right. before the release, right? right? So then you have to work backwards. Yes. Um, if you don't have a distro and it's mm -hmm. just about making sure you have them in hand for a tour or a release show, sure. Um, I suppose that depends on how long you feel it will take to get the artwork together and what right. stage you're at. People contact us when they're before they've even recorded, uh, you know. So right. it's really all over the place, yeah. And that's that's good sure. because you know maybe you have to have a band meeting where like all five people are part of the same democratic yeah. <laughs> process. Yeah. Um, our scheduling system has certain expectations in mm -hmm. terms of when the test pressings should be approved, which is day 17 from the date of audio submission, okay, um, as well as artwork approval. And right. so, so essentially, we really, really hope that people supply their audio and their artwork at the exact same time. Okay, You can get a head start on the audio if you don't have the art ready. Right. But uh, I mean, this is why I think it's better to contact us um, as soon and as, as soon as you can, as opposed to right before that eight weeks. Right. It's good to have that conversation about what the deadline expectations right. are. Like we we don't have a culture of saying, well, your test pressing approval is late, so eh. Yeah. You know, like we will try and push through that. I see. And to say, you know, we made it happen anyway. Yeah. So because you're dealing with artists. Yeah, pretty. It, totally. <laughs> it's an easy thing to shoot yourself in the foot, especially with like artwork and yeah. you know yeah. design programs and whatever else. So, so anyway, yeah, I'd encourage two things. I'd encourage contact us sooner in the process than later and to try and get your audio and art ready at the exact same at time. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, I see a lot of uh, frustration on Twitter from labels I follow who are doing pressings when it comes to um, not necessarily turnaround time as much anymore, but mistakes or just general yeah. frustration of, of how arduous this process can be. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from and how can that be avoided? There's so many parts to making a record, mm. so many stages. Mm -hmm. Cutting and plating are essentially their own industries, if you think about it. Yeah, you know, cutting right. is engineering, plating is chemistry, the pressing process is what it is, the printing process is you know, about artwork and graphics, and mm. there is a lot of moving parts. Mm. Um, and so it really depends on the strength of the systems that the, your suppliers mm. have, um, the interconnectedness of it, the ability for one place like us to streamline everything is preferable for that reason, I would say, yeah, but yeah. that's a choice that people can make. Um, I know that we're, we're um, automating a lot more of the features of our own systems okay. in terms of how a record moves through it. Yeah. Um, we're putting a lot of work into creating and developing some custom software for our company that's yeah. like not off the shelf, but designed specifically Amazing. for our purposes. So. I think that's for pressing plants. I feel like that's where we are best at applying that energy to reduce those mistakes. The more manual and intensive your process is, the more opportunities there are for all those various stages to not come together perfectly. Right. Um, so yeah, anyway, we try and be as sharp as possible mm. on all of that stuff in terms of the updating yeah. and maneuvering and continuing to build the system so that you have a stronger route. Are there mistakes that artists and labels are making that you see a lot? with mastering or artwork? I think the graphics tend to be the area that people struggle with more than the audio side of things. Resolution and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I think that like, um, it's, we see a lot of artwork revisions. Yeah. I feel like that's where labels and artists tend to get tripped often. Yeah. There's um, so many pieces to that too. Yeah. The, the, the jackets and the spine and then the sleeves if you're doing that and, designing things upside down if you have to. Totally. Crazy. So maybe something is low resolution yeah. or maybe you caught a spelling mistake or something like that. It's just another reason to get your art tucked away as early as possible. Sure. Because if one of those revisions happen, like maybe the basis name is spelled wrong or something like that, yeah. then you have to go back to your designer and start that again. So setting up a whole like InDesign or, or Photoshop template is pretty complicated, especially for a label who's never done it or, or a, yeah. a band themselves. Do you offer like services for that? Yeah. To help with that? We do. Um, we do, we do layout, we do mm -hmm. design. We find that not that many people take us up on it. Okay. Most people know someone, a cousin oh, yeah. is a graphic designer <laughs> or something right. like that, <laughs> yeah. which makes sense if Good. you're an independent artist and yeah. that's 
you have a budget that you need to watch every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you have the ability to get someone on board with a lot of graphics experience, yeah. I really think it'll make a difference in terms of how smooth the process can go. Yeah. I, I was, it reminded me of, uh, do you know the label Ghostly? Yeah. Ghostly International. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we did an episode with Molly, Molly is in charge of like, uh, Molly Smith is in charge of the, the audio side of things, like the mastering and then the, the physical production of everything. And she said this thing in our interview where when the box comes in from the plant, like she takes it into her back office and yeah. closes the door and doesn't let anyone there for to open it up herself. Like, oh no, because you know those like fe those feelings of nerves. Like when I when I got my record here, I was like, please don't let there be a spelling mistake. Please don't. <laughs> I talked to a record label once, who I'll uh, give sure. anonymity to. Okay, <laughs> we worked with him on like thirty releases, yeah. and his catalog was like seventy or eighty releases. Like, you know a really consistent label, yeah. always making vinyl. And he told me once he cannot physically bring it upon himself to put the record onto the turntable and to play and to put the needle down because there's just too much anxiety centered around. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, for me, it was more, it was more printing too. than the music. Oh, right, the music right. I have more confidence in. I think it's the, the thing that's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, like the, resolution or the errors or something. That's where I'm nervous. Yeah, hopefully about. people aren't afraid because we have test pressings. So that's an opportunity that's for right. audio review. Yeah. And you can ask any questions. Yeah. Things seem strange to you. There are artwork, you know, digital proofs right. for the, you know, all of the art pieces. Yeah. You can do hard copy proofs. So like there are opportunities to relieve that anxiety. Can I <laughs> I don't know if this is like proprietary. Can I mention the people with the headphones? That the, department, the audio QA room, we call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is so it's such a bizarre job. Would you oh, like yeah? to have that job, or would you hate to have that job? I have a lot of respect for the people yeah. that have that job. So these are people to our listeners. These are people who are listen to a record front to back with headphones, sitting there in a in a room. We have something called the first off. Okay. Um, maybe every plant uses that term, but essentially, it's the first record that we deem sort of um, fit to hit the quality control room. Yeah. Because there's there's three quality. Uh, reviews. Yeah. There's two visual and one audio. Okay. And so the first off is listened to front to back in its entirety. So, you know, if it's the new like Mersbo record. So you're like, you can come in here. power at, violence, yeah, noise or you whatever. You can come in here at 8 a.m. and have to listen to like a yes. noise, he heavy metal record or something. Followed or, by Dolly Parton or something. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I would just like pray that it's a Miles Davis release, the <laughs> right. first thing in the morning, please. <laughs> primarily what you're listening for are like um, uh, deviations, defects, right. Right. you know, like pops, ticks right. or whatever. So you're, you're not necessarily like focusing on the lyrics, <laughs> yeah, yeah. for instance, the you lyrics. know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, but yeah, no, I mean, it must be a challenging thing to do that um, as, your, as your everyday. So yeah, we, we do the first <laughs> off and then thankfully um, throughout the run, yeah. you don't keep doing that. Yeah, it's just course. every 50th record, right. you, you you needle drop on yeah. like the most common passages that could have oh, more I noise. See. Oh, I like, see. like what we call the lead in, which is before the music starts, but when you put the needle down, right? that's where you can really hear what's going on. Yes. Um, uh, I like when I'm mastering and putting a record together, I love when songs bleed into the next. You can do that on vinyl? You definitely can. So is there just not that dead space where you can drop the needle? How does so what, that work? What that dead space is, um, people have different names for it, visual track markers or track bands. Okay. It's essentially made with the push of a button on the lathe. Oh. And it has no audio impact whatsoever. No way. Yeah. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, accompany silence or vice versa. I did so not know that. if your audio master has every song bleeding together. Yes based on where the tracks stop and start with the track list that you give us, we'll still put those track bands down. Amazing. Yeah. I was stressing about that when we did my record. <laughs> and glad I, we had this conversation. Yeah, I, I think I actually altered the Vinyl Master um, from the, uh, like the streaming master to accommodate that. What do you mean you made you? Like, I remastered you made the record. silence in between those two songs because you thought you had to? Maybe I did that on a previous album, mm. but not on, on this latest one with Brandon. I can't remember. But Maybe. yeah, I, I just thought, how do you drop the needle then if you yeah. don't have silence in between the tracks? Yeah, because it's visual only. 
That's um, amazing. That was so, worth this whole interview. Yeah, it's totally good. Yeah, we, we don't add or take away silence <laughs> unless, really unless cool. asked. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Um, I want, I'm going to end off by asking you, uh, like, if you have advice for, for indie labels who are, who are prepping to press or are afraid of pressing and, and, and everything you've said so far has been great advice and I'll pull that out later. Um, before I do that, I want to ask you something that like, as a fan, I, I noticed that like a lot of like records that I was a fan of from the late nineties and early two thousands, like when vinyl really wasn't it, like the dead era of vinyl, mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of those records haven't yet been pressed on vinyl. That's happening now, um, more so now. But like, is was is there issues that uh, that I'm not aware of 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 like getting some of these like masters from the '90s or like Are you familiar with this at all? I'm I'm less intimately familiar with it okay. than someone who runs a reissue label because that yeah, really right, is right, yeah. that really is something that they can answer to best. I mean, you should always aim to do the ethical thing and get as much permission as you can. So when it comes to receiving permission from a defunct band or maybe like someone's deceased or something yeah. like that, who's the rights holder, right. you have to really go down a rabbit hole. Right. You know, like there was a guy named um, Chris who runs a record label called Shella Records. And okay. it was primarily based on this reggae 45 that he wanted to reissue. Yeah from this like anonymous, virtually anonymous person named sure. like Sh Sheila Richards or something like that. Okay. He traveled to Jamaica to try and find her, interviewed everyone he could and yeah. eventually got her approval and then they made the record, right? Yeah. So, oh, wow. you know, that's probably not happening yeah, with yeah. a lot of reissues. It doesn't need to go to that extent, but that's how far it can go. Right. So I really, I suppose, depends on the availability of the current rights holder. Are there, are they, um, I know there's issues with audio too. I mean, some of right. the stuff is not done on tape, but not necessarily done digitally. It was done with ADAT or something. Do you, do you know, like, are some of these major, major uh, mass market releases just taking the CD audio and pressing it? I think that does happen. Yeah. Um, we don't always know, right. but I talked to a cutting engineer, Pete from Infrasonic years ago. Okay. who was like, man, like I've done so many like Black Sabbath records, you know, I'm just yeah. naming something where it's like, they just gave me like the CD copy of it. Right. It's like, oh, what well, so unfortunate because it could have been, you know, this reissue or something that, yeah. that was remastered. It actually works fine. You know, like you, you, you can do it. Yes. A lot of people won't even notice the difference. No, I don't think so I would notice it. It's possible to yeah. do, but you also have other, well, if you have other choices, then those can be made too. You know yeah. what I mean? And I imagine like it would have to be a massive record to pull out the tapes and have a, an engineer remaster from the, the tapes. Yeah, then you heard about that fire that happened in That's right, yeah. Universal. And, yeah. All those original masters got destroyed, you know. So you, those records can still exist from other sources. Right. But yeah, the primary source is obviously always going to be your best place to remaster from. Yeah. Do you have anything to say to labels who are thinking about vinyl pressing? Don't do it. Uh, do it. <laughs> do it and come here. Well, I, I'm not sure if I should start with this, but we have like a live chat feature on the website. And I, I decided to mention that because we found that um, we really need to make it a very accessible process. We don't want it to feel exclusive. A live chat, like a real live chat? You got it, yeah. With somebody in here? That's right. No way, it's For probably sure. a robot. It's not, it's a, it's it's a human. It's one of those people that takes Steinman. 20 minutes to respond to you. <laughs> Thank you, exactly. please state your question. Right, it's the precision bot. <laughs> it's actually a cyborg that we built. Um, no, but I, I decided cool. to mention that beyond anything because I think making it um, uh, accessible yeah. and non-exclusive is really the best place for us to start. I mean, it, it, it really should be for anyone. Yes. We were talking earlier before this about a conversation I heard between two people, mm. one complaining bitterly about, you know, Crosley turntables and the other one, you know, saying, you know, hey, we should really be depending on the people who are buying those mm. because this is the, you know, again, like lowest barrier to entry. And that's really mm -hmm. important. We don't want it to be, you know, guarded by a small group of people who think vinyl's only for them. It's, it's not theirs. That's great. It's no one's. Yes. So I, I would hope that bands also feel like it's accessible mm. and it's for them. And, you know, even things like talking on the live chat, if you think you just have a silly question or something, it shouldn't feel far away or yeah. like, like it's not for you. That's really cool. So, so yeah, I mean, 
we'll continue to explore the low run side of things. And I feel like we have a, well, when we did the numbers, we found out that low runs were good for us financially, which was packaged nicely with my moral argument for not being another record plant that, yeah. you know, disregards the indies yes. in favor of only doing major label production yeah. and who gets priority. So I know for us, we want to really let people know that low runs are doable. Um, getting the digital printing stuff going also was important to make yeah. that more accessible. So yeah. just give it a shot. Maybe it's for you, maybe it's not, but you should ask. I think that's good. And I, something I'll, I want to communicate through this episode and, and beyond is, um, and it's it's really a message to myself too, because I am intimidated. I'm intimidated by this this place. I'm intimidated by the, not, not in a bad way. And that, it would be the case of any factory, but like yeah. I'm intimidated when I see like a beautiful record come off uh, in the record store. I'm like, how did they do this? How did they afford this? But um, I think that live chat is a really cool thing just to start the conversation. Yeah, we also have made um, like a, almost like a magazine or like blog. Okay. I guess, I guess blog is the yeah. term on the website that's, you know, featuring different people in the industry. And we just want like other ways for people to find us and to like um, dispel the myth that it is complex, difficult, not for you, right. that type of stuff. That's great. So it, it can seem it can seem complicated yeah. from the outside, yeah. but we should be accessible to talk to. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks for doing this, man. Thanks a lot, man. It's been I really awesome. appreciate it. Great. Lots of fun. Thank you so much for listening. You can check out Precision Pressing at precisionpressing.com. Um, you know, this isn't a, a sponsored interview. This was um, a company that I really like. I had the, the privilege of doing a record with them. It, it was a plant that I thought was incredibly immaculate and it's such an interesting process. I, I, I love the, I, the art of making vinyl. I think it's really cool. And Paul had so many great insights. It was great to sit down face to face for an interview, not something I get to do a lot. And so that was a lot of fun. Remember, check out our new website, otherrecordlabels.com. There's a couple resources there that you'll find helpful. Our new resource on album artwork, which you can get at otherrecordlabels.com. Click on the resource tab. And then our free guide for DIY artists and independent record labels. You can get that at otherrecordlabels.com. Thanks for listening.